Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Welcome back or welcome to the Peak 40 podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bubbs. Today, friends, you're in for a treat. My guest is Dr. Michael Rosen, an American anesthetologist and internist, an award-winning author and the chief wellness officer at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Rosen has written over 165 peer-reviewed publications and 100 medical chapters. He served on the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, advisory committee for over 16 years, and has authored or co-authored five, count them five, number one New York Times bestsellers. In today's episode, we'll dive into Dr. Rosen's new book, The Great Age Reboot, Cracking the Longevity Code for a Younger Tomorrow. In this conversation, we'll chat about the biggest roadblocks to longevity that we face today, some of the new science on the latest advancements in longevity, and tips that you can layer into your routine on the nutrition, movement, and lifestyle fronts. We'll dive into key lab tests to prioritize that he prioritizes at the Cleveland Clinic, as well as Dr. Rosen's number one tip for healthy aging. Before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Peak 40 Coaching. As we get towards the end of the year, I just wanted to share with you some of the phenomenal, really phenomenal client stories from our 2022 Peak 40 Coaching Groups. In this clip, you'll hear from Sarah, 50-year-old entrepreneur, on the impact of the Peak 40 Coaching Program for her. Uh, I am doing well. Um, I've had um, uh, rave reviews from everyone going, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because you look amazing. Like I've been getting that, like I was walking, doing my morning walk um, and I'm walking past these two ladies and they turned, they said to me, you look amazing. Like these just random strangers. I was like, <laughs> like Dr. Mark, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Sarah's success was really a testament to her doubling down, as difficult as that can be, on the process and really letting go of the focus of the scale, which when you do it, ironically leads to much, much better results. You can reserve your spot now for the January 2023 Peak 40 Coaching Program and save $150 off the cost of the 12-week course with the promo code 2023, that's 2023 at checkout, and you can save $1,000 off our new 12-month program. That's 50% off our new 12-month program with the code XMAS2022. That's XMAS2022. Just head over to drbubs.com forward slash Pete40 or email Carly at drbubs.com. That's C-A-R-L-Y at drbubs.com for more info. Then you'll be ready and set up to have your best year yet in 2023. All right, let's get started my conversation with Dr. Rosen. Enjoy. Doc, I really appreciate you carving out some time today for us. My privilege. Thank you. Listen, I'm looking forward to diving into, uh, you know, discussing your new book, The Great Age Reboot. Before we do that, though, I'd love to go back a little bit and, and talk a little bit about when, you know, for you, that connection between nutrition, exercise, longevity on the, on the health front, on the disease front, when did, when did that connection really take shape for you? Well, it really took shape in 1986. I'm an old guy. 
Nice. But it was a patient who um, I was working with to try and get him to stop smoking. And uh, when I said to him, it makes you, you know, he said, what's my risk? If my doc says I don't have much risk because I'm only 49, I said, if you're really only 49, you wouldn't have much risk, but your smoking makes you at least eight years older. And uh, in the discussion, he said, what other things have an effect on your rate of aging? And I said, I don't know, probably the Framingham 13, but I don't know mm -hmm. where we have data. And so he said, how much will it cost me to find out? <laughs> and so I said, well, it will, you know, I know the guy runs the health risk assessment project at uh, um, Stanford and the guy runs the uh, Carter Center at uh, the CDC um, and a couple internists here at the University of Chicago where I was. And I said, and we need a, a statistician because what this is is the net present value of health changes Yep. the way people do net present value of investments. And I was at that time caring for, and he said this so I can say it, Gary Becker, who had won the Nobel Prize for net present value of investments. Wow. And he agreed to help in doing this. So I said, you know, uh, probably, you know, two meetings in Chicago to go over some data, um, uh, airfare, et cetera. And I doubled it for university overhead. And so I said about 50,000. Yeah. And to my surprise, he reached into his checkbook, whipped it out, wrote a check for $50,000 and said, I want the answer in 10 weeks, in six <laughs> weeks. We gave him the answer in 10 weeks, um, which uh, proved you could do it in at least 50 things. There was enough data, including things like red meat and um, processed red meat, et cetera. And he said uh, in nutrition, and there were data from the... Harvard alumni studies and Penn alumni studies that you could probably do it in uh, for exercise and the four components that have proven to make a difference. And he said, well, where's the data? And I said, well, that's much more expensive. You need to do covariance. You need to um, get all the data together. And he said, how much will it cost? And I said, you know, a million, million and a half. I don't know. It's, it's kind of open-ended because the data keeps coming. For sure. And he wrote another check for 50000 and said, get started. I'll help you raise the rest of the money. And that's how, how we got started and analyzed all the data on food choices and portion size and time of day and analyzed all the data on the four components of physical activity that make a difference and analyzed the data on stress, which is the most important, as well as unforced areas like tobacco and yeah. uh, sleep and uh, brain health, uh, and as well as some supplements. So we, we ended up with about, at that time, I think it was about 130 things that made a difference to how long and well you live. Yeah. And now yeah. over 180 plus over 53 supplements that people have sent us information about or have questions about, of which depending on your age and gender, between 12 and 16 make a difference. So a lot of misinformation in that area as well. but. Probably there are about 190 or so, 195, that for any individual um, over the age of uh, 35 make a difference to how long and well you live. Tremendous. I'm, I'm going to pick your brain on that in a minute. I'd love to come back to, and you've outlined some already, but you know, people listening in are definitely thinking of what are these other roadblocks? You mentioned obviously smoking being in that initial impetus. You know, what are the things that you're seeing in your clinic that when you're, and you're looking at the data, you know, obviously we see some big rocks around movement and everything else, but I'm curious, 
you know, for you, what are some of those big roadblocks in terms of longevity for folks? Well, the, the key in any time I see a patient is finding their motivation. So the great majority of people um, know a lot about what to do now with the basic, what we call six normals plus two, which is what we do at the Cleveland Clinic and we motivate them with money, large amounts. And uh, that saves us about $190 million a year for 101,000 patients. And they get between 25 million and 50 million a year in uh, for those patients in, in their saving, their direct savings, plus all the wow. co et cetera. So we've lowered our need for medical care by over 38% because they've gotten to that. But the key is, in every patient I see is what motivates them? Is mm -hmm. it for being with their grandkids? Is it for their wife? Is it for peak performance? Is it um, something they want to do, some place they want to climb, something they want to do? Um, sure. And they're weird, you know, there are lots of weird things. That motivate um, people, right? It's in, not always in their motivation. But, but my job in that initial visit is not just to, to find out what they're doing in exercise and sleep and food and stress management, et cetera, and their posse and passions, but is to really find out their passion. And so I can, um, how do I call it, uh, use that passion to motivate them to make the choices to get healthier. So that's the biggest thing. If you're saying, what do I do? It is finding the passion and the motivation for each patient. That's, I mean, that's tremendous in the way that we, you know, whether it's performance oriented, like you're saying from a, from a health standpoint, being able to find out the why for, for a client is a great way so that we don't have to be cracking the whip of external motivation. They could start fueling themselves. If we, if we dovetail that into just today's medical environment, you know, 10 or 15 minute visits, you know, how can a, you know, it's difficult for a doc to sort of get a full intake and figure out what's going on. And then we level up, you know, obviously motivation is tremendous, but then having to unpack that, do you, do you have any sort so, of tips? So I have an unusual practice. I've uh, obviously I'm an old guy and been doing this for a long time. So they let me do it and, and we charge for it appropriately. Um, still, you know, on, on Thursdays, I see patients in executive health and we charge a lot of money yeah. for seeing me. And on Fridays we see, I see them in wellness. And again, and we don't charge a lot of money. It's mostly insurance only. Yeah. Um, and uh, but my initial visit is an hour because mm -hmm. you've got to find their motivation. Yeah. And then I have uh, 30 minutes as usual follow up, except, you know, in some rare cases. So I've got a guy with leg edema and we're treating it. And just to see the leg edema and measure it, that's a time. 15 minute or 10 minute visit. But yeah. Um, the vast majority are half an hour because you have to keep, you know, it, it is very interesting to me. My patients want to see me more often than I think I need because they find that checking in is mm -hmm. a very valuable behavior tool to help them get healthier and stay healthier. 100%. If you can keep the compliance up and the checking in, that's that's definitely a important key. Now, you know, in writing the book, you know, you've obviously written tremendous amount of fantastic books. Now, what was the impetus for writing The Great Age Reboot? The only reason I will write a book or co-author a book is because the science has changed or there is new science that I think is important enough to convey. So, for example, in What to Eat When, 
and the What to Eat When cookbook, it was because the time of eating and intermittent fasting, the data on that had evolved. And we wanted to talk to people about five days of low calorie, 750 calories a month. In the Great Age Reboot, what it is, is that we've extended life expectancy by about two and a half years every 10 years for both men and women since 1890, from about 41 for women to about 80 now. But in the next 10 years, we're likely to get a 30 year, really an exponential jump in longevity. And that's because of the 14 areas of aging mechanism research that have all shown in at least two animal species the ability to reboot. So in 1998, when we came out with real age, we said that 60 could be the new 40. Mm -hmm. That's happened. We now believe that 90 is likely to be the new 40. That takes a wow. real emotional change, a real planning change. So if you're going to live to 90, you're not going to want to retire at 65 because you'll be bored stiff by 110 or 115. And you're going to want to work. 20 or 30 years longer if you're going to live 30 years longer. So the point is, um, that is why we wrote it, because the aging mechanism research has evolved. So the first third of the book is on those 14 areas of research and where they are and what to look for. The second third is on what you can do economically and what the country should be doing policy-wise. It's to actually get you through that emotional thing. And the last third is, how you can plan for it now. Because it may be in 2050 that you go in a car wash at 90 and come out at 40. But for the foreseeable future, it's going to be organ system by organ system, which means you need to do as many of those, what I call 190 choices, as you can gradually. You don't want to do them all at once and no one's perfect. Um, but you want to pick up as many of the big ones you want to do all of those six normals plus two, as we say, and as many of the others as you feel comfortable doing, gradually increasing it so that you don't have structural damage until the reboot comes. That's terrific. And Doc, with some of those 14 areas that you, you look at in that first third of the book, could you highlight a few of those areas in terms of some of the advancements that have really... Uh, you know, sure. So um, everyone knows um, about stem cells. So I'm not going to, I'll go a little bit into stem cells just because there's such a interest in them. But the, for example, a lot of it is the proteins you make and their quality. So for example, the proteins generated by the E4 gene, which include increased amyloid and tau, increase your risk of dementia if you have that by about two to threefold. So instead of 20%, it's about 60% at age 85 for, I'm sorry, at age 90 for women and about 95 for men. But imagine you could block those proteins from either being made or being effective. Well, a the, the Gladstone group at the University of California, San Francisco, looked at exactly that question with all available that is approved by the FDA generic medicines. So they looked at about 1,500 and I think 63 medications that had become generic that were approved by the FDA and looked at what they did to those to that production by E4. Mm -hmm. And they found that 
a $4 a month water pill, bumetamide, compared, called Bumex, blocks that effect in animals and in cell culture. They then looked at a 1.3 million person electronic database and found the people who were taking that compared to the people who were taking other water pills had a 70% reduction in dementia. That's compared to the general public. And then they looked at it in a 4.8 million person database and found the same thing, 71% reduction in dementia. So now they're doing a randomized trial in humans. So all mm -hmm. of these things are moving into humans. But imagine if you could do that. Let me give you another one of them. Gene editing. Um, people with sickle cell disease and beta thalassemia mm -hmm. produce an abnormal hemoglobin. That's just an abnormal protein. So yep. whether you're, um, you have 22,500 genes and about 80% of them, you control whether they're on or not. This one you don't control. It's there and it makes this abnormal hemoglobin, which um, clogs up arteries and mm. requires transfusions um, when you're 15 to, and with a life expectancy of 20 to 25. So they took 76 people who had this and who were requiring weekly transfusions, pretty expensive in emergency rooms mm -hmm. and a lot of pain they had. And they knocked out that gene so that they would produce what we call fetal hemoglobin, a hemoglobin that we produce in our, in, in utero and for the first several months of life. Mm -hmm. And so they forced that to be their production of hemoglobin by knocking out that other hemoglobin producing gene. And what happened? Now they have life expectancies of 65. Incredible. Well, imagine you can do that with some of the major genes, like one that blocks LDL cholesterol metabolism for, uh, or ones that cause high blood pressure. That's where it's moving into major diseases like that. So gene editing with CRISPR-Cas9, um, uh, that's one of those areas. Another one is the blocking of protein function. Mm -hmm. Another one is how do you turn on your own genes? So why does muscle activity increase brain size and increase your uh, memory and decrease your potential for um, cognitive dysfunction as you get older because it turns on a gene that produces the muscle. It turns on a gene in the muscle that produces a small protein called arisen. Gets across the blood-brain barrier, releases brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor, which is like miracle growth for your hippocampus, mm -hmm. which is your memory center. So the third one is gene self-editing, if you will, that yep. is turning on the right genes, turning off the wrong ones. And imagine we could produce that arisen protein so you can get that benefit without having to uh, exercise. Now, I like exercise because it's got a lot of benefits, For sure. but, but that's one of the areas. So, and, and another one, as I said, is stem cells. Well, the problem with stem cells is you don't need four or 800 of them, which is often done in clinics that yeah. doesn't do a darn thing. Maybe the exosomes help with um, decreasing pain and causing forth your own stem cells, but the stem cells you get are usually non-enough. You yeah. need 20 to 30 million, for example, to repair the heart. But if you wow. grow those, if I take them from you and want to give you them, it takes me three to six months to grow them in culture and it's very expensive. 
But if I knock out the immunogenicity of those stem cells, I can produce sheets of them in a factory and give them to the same ones to a whole bunch of people without having to take them from you and grow them separately. Makes Incredible. it much cheaper. And that's being done in Japan now with heart attack patients. So this is so stem cells without immunogenicity is another one of the areas. So there, there are 14 of these areas. Um, the favorite one, I, I will give you one more. Sure. Uh, the favorite one of my co-author Albert Ratner is taking white fat. Yeah, visceral adiposity, not good. Turning it into mother fat that is pluripotent fat, where the white fat came from, but brown fat also came from that. You have brown fat when you're young to keep you warm. Mm -hmm. It produces energy. So you can take the white fat, regress it to pluripotent or mother fat, turn that mother fat into brown fat and get thin and um, get rid of the white fat. So it eliminates diabetes, it eliminates non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, a lot of the, the changes what you'd invest in. Instead of investing in Weight Watchers, you'd invest in Haagen-Dazs, right? <laughs> in any case, um, the point is that's now been done in three animal species, including the biggest one, sheep. There's a trial, I understand, starting uh, in uh, Japan for that as well. So we're seeing all of these 14 areas moving into human trials um, and uh, those are that's the uh, um, the gist of it. And if you want one more, I can give you one more. That's another favorite. But Go for um, it. I've given, yeah, yeah I've, I've taken enough time okay. already. Go ahead. Well, I was, was going to say, I mean, it's obviously really fascinating, and it's so exciting to see what's coming down the pipeline in terms of technologies. You know, for folks listening in, as we're sort of in this middle ground between people, obviously trying to to, to feel better, to reduce, as you mentioned, weight, blood pressure, blood sugars support cognitive health, you know, even starting with, with tests, like whether it's blood tests or physical tests that you might do if someone comes in, what are you looking at that says, okay, this number here's, you know, or these constellation of numbers are letting me know that you're not aging well, we've got to do something. Well, you, you, we always go first at the six normals plus two. So yep. uh, blood pressure, so they're simple. It's, mm -hmm. it's your stress level. We have a measure of stress as well, perceived stress scale. And we also have a, a, a measure that regard, looks at your vocal cord sensitivity. So most sensitive in your muscle in your body to stress is your vocal cords. And you vary the frequency with the same letter the more stressed you are. Interesting. So we can look at a, a measure of stress. You look at blood pressure. You want it below 125 and below 85. We look at LDL cholesterol, apolipoprotein B. Apolipoprotein B integrates the, the number, the particle number, as well as um, the particle size. And you want it below 70 milligrams per deciliter. We look at fasting blood sugar, hemoglobin A1C. You want the fasting blood sugar to below 100 and the hemoglobin A1C to below 5.7. We look at... Um, the cotinine level, which is tobacco in products, whether from first, second, or third degree uh, tobacco or vaping, and we look at the particle size you're involved in. Mm -hmm. um, we look at uh, the your body mass index or your height to weight ratio. You want your height uh, to be more than two times your waist size or your waist to be less than half your height size, mm -hmm. or your body mass index to be less than 27. We look at a number of inflammatory markers. 
So a highly specific C-reactive protein, TMAO, MPO, and IL-6 give you different measures of where the inflammation is occurring and, and what's occurring, but inflammation reducing that. We look at speed of processing games and your speed on those as well as sleep. Um, and we, we go through uh, a number of areas of unforced errors. So um, in reviewing those, so make sure you're not texting and driving or uh, texting and walking, et cetera. Mm -hmm. that's, why, that's the major unforced error now, as well as if you're doing uh, sports outdoors that you're wearing a helmet when it's appropriate to do so, et cetera. So yep. um, those, we go through those basic six and the plus two are uh, see a primary care practitioner um, once a year at least to get those values and to review yep. where you are and what your preventive care uh, techniques are, and then including uh, sleep and food, uh, portion size, uh, time of eating, etc. your stress management techniques, your posse, your passion, finding your motivation. And then uh, the other first thing we do in, in, in that sequence is also look at um, if if you will, are your immunizations up to date? Yep. Because uh, getting the flu, getting a whooping cough causes enormous inflammation, which can rupture plaques and cause, and is a major cause of heart attacks and strokes. Fantastic. So, so I've given you more, Mark, yeah. than uh, you, you've gotten, uh, how do I manage patients? I mean, I, I'm impressed. You've gotten everything I know out of me practically. <laughs> Well, this is great. I mean, clients are going into their docs, they're getting these numbers. We know that people are struggling with weight gain, hypertension, they're not sleeping long hours, people in midlife, kids at home caring for, for older parents, uh, stress levels are high. And so these markers are off. And then it becomes a question of in the busyness and madness and hecticness of, of, of whether it's 40s, 50s, 60s beyond, how do we start to integrate these things? And you've obviously got a lot of great solutions, 190 different solutions. Where do we start with some of these things? What are some of the ones where in, the, in that group of 190, where would you go first for, for clients? We usually start with what the patient is willing to do that they like doing. Um, so this is not castor oil, this is sunshine. Mm -hmm. So you want to find things you love that love your body back. That's especially true with food. So, for example, um, you may not like walking, but you may like playing ping pong, or you may like gardening, or you may like something else. Dancing, we try and so find what the person loves to do and then get them to do that if it loves them back. And so, but if they don't, but we usually start with general physical activity because one, everyone knows that's important. And two, it's a relatively uh, quantifiable with the wearables and other things. I mean, yeah, every phone yeah. has uh, the, the general physical activities on it and, and step and get them to 10,000 step equivalents mm -hmm. over a two month period. And then we will, add, and they will feel better with that. And 100%. then we'll start to add other things. And usually we'll do, we'll try and get them to do three things at once. One of which is pick a supplement. One of which is general physical activity. And one of which is uh, um, find a food they enjoy that is good for them and to 
substitute that for something there that doesn't love their body back. That's great. I like that idea of being able to allow them to select so that there's more buy-in in the situation. Now, and the other thing to... I got to tell you, what, yeah, found, what I found recently is, the other thing is, as people get older, it's tough to, mm. um, if you will, cultivate your friends. And because you lose when you're young, you got teams and work, etc. Yeah. But you lose friends as you get older. So we often get them to use their cell phone in a you know in a remote way with their earplugs in, if you will, so they can focus, if you yeah. will. Um, but use their cell phone to call friends as they're doing their general physical activity. If it's just walking or uh, something that is uh, you know that they can do that or get a friend to play ping pong or pickleball with them, whatever they want. But it is usually to cult start to cultivate friendship as well. Yeah, it's great when it doesn't have to feel like work and there's the community aspect and all of a sudden we're getting wins in, in multiple categories. And, you know, from a food standpoint, obviously you've got a lot of energy excess in the, in the food environment. You've got a lot of processed foods that, hey, they taste great, but they're everywhere. And if we're lacking sleep and stressed out, it's easy to fall into that trap. Um, you know, Obviously, not good for longevity. We see all that data around, you know, pre-diabetes, diabetes. diabetes that's that's one of the reasons so. why, as you said, sleep is so important. Mm -hmm. Because even even I, you know, I know what foods are good and bad for me, and am addicted to foods that are good for me. But when I don't get enough sleep, you know, I was on a plane, if you will, and Travel, three different. Yeah. Uh, it was a thirteen different time zones, if you will, recently. Wow. And you you. You break down and you say, hey, that chocolate bar looks pretty damn good. <laughs> say, I can't believe I'm thinking about that, you know, because um, I know better. But in any case, the human, point right? is that, that sleep is really key. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's a tough one to, to get for a lot of people when, when, again, kids work the whole, the, you know, the rest of it. And so as you go through some of these solutions, we're making progress. You talked a little bit about, you know, supplementation. Obviously, lots of different supplements people talk about in terms of health and longevity. Where, where does the data shake out on really that handful that are going to make a meaningful impact? Um, well, that's why we did the Reboot Your Age app so that mm -hmm. people could, so it could adjust to the individual, if you will. Tremendous. So um, in the Great Age Reboot, we I think we list uh, probably 15 or 18, of which 12 have some good data behind them, and the references are there. But on the Reboot Your Age app, you go to Great Age Reboot, we discuss eight of them every uh, 13 weeks, and believe it or not, since we've been sent 100, since we've been sent 53 to review, I mean, there's some, there are a whole bunch that don't quite meet the data yet, such as metformin or rapamycin. Yeah. Um, and there are a whole bunch that uh, you know that people poo-poo, but actually have really good data on them, such as uh, create phosphocreatine and. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, half a baby or baby aspirin uh, twice a day or half a multivitamin twice a day or calcium and magnesium or vitamin D3 so or CoQ10. So we and, and you really want to individualize it to the, the person. But um, if you uh, and it, since there's a free trial on the app, I can say you can go to the library on the app. There's nice recaps uh, at the Reboot Your Age app that are summarized in lay form. And then the rest of the data is in the review, often right. 20 or 30 pages. But if your practitioner wants to or you want to, you can uh, click through on the highlighted articles as well to see what the actual data are. 
It's so fascinating with, you know, obviously with the use of statins being greater and greater, just based on the population struggling um, and potentially causing some issues with, with CoQ10 and reducing CoQ10 levels. You know, where do you sit on that data? Should people who are taking statins be thinking about that and talking to their doctor about that or? Yeah, I, I think it should be routine, uh, but let me go through. Um, so there's yep. a compounding effect to health benefits. So I want to get this point really. So you know about compounding on interest. If you put $10 in and you're getting, um, let's just make it easy, 5% interest, you have $10.50 after one year, you have $11 and whatever it is, six cents after two years, and it grows. So if you put, if you even if a $15 a uh, hour income and you put 3% away and you start at 25, by 65, you'll have $257,000 if you put it away at a 4% rate. If you lasted 95, you have 1.4 million. That's Incredible. the compounding effect before you touch it. The same thing happens with health. If you're on a statin because you got a high cholesterol, let's say your cholesterol is 140 and you lower it to 70, your LDL cholesterol, your apolipoprotein B, mm -hmm. in the first 10 years from say 30 to 40, you may get a 25% reduction in your heart attack and stroke risk. But if you're still doing that at age 60, even though the, the LDL and apolipoprotein effect get a little smaller over time, yep. your reduction in risk is about 80%. So there's a compounding effect. Um, that's true with diabetes. You get type two diabetes earlier, by 60, you got a lot of risk. Whereas if you mm -hmm. get it later, it is not as much risk. So there's a compounding effect that prevention doing exercise early, yeah, you even get a benefit if you start at 85, as the Jerusalem longevity studies have shown. But you get much better benefit Why the earlier you start. So there's a compounding effect. I think that's true for lowering your LDL and, and uh, apolipoprotein B levels. And uh, I, since you're lowering CoQ10, I believe in supplementing with CoQ10 and probably we'll have to increase the amounts of CoQ10 we supplement with over time as well. We don't have good enough data on that quite yet. It's great advice for folks because people start exercise regimes, they fall off the bandwagon and they think they sort of have wasted efforts yet this idea of when they go back to it, progress compounds itself. And as you're alluding to here, that over year on year and decade on decade, it's compounding as well. So really you know, important to do that. And just circling back to the LDL there, obviously a big growth in, in the use of, of various fats with different dietary strategies like keto and things like coconut oil consumption kind of going through the roof, obviously having potentially bigger impact on LDL. Is that something between the butters or the coconut oils or what are some of the bigger things that you see impacting LDL? Um, the reason I don't like coconut oil is because the early studies at NIH before we had genetic models of dementia we used coconut oil to create dementia after a inflammatory event in the animal. So we'd give them an infection in their paw, give them coconut oil, the inflammation would get across the brain and it would be a model of dementia or cognitive dysfunction. 
coconut oil breaks down the blood-brain barrier to allow that inflammation to occur. That's why we it was used at NIH uh, to do that in the 70s, 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I think the major um, thing that causes inflammation in diet, uh, there are two groups, things that raise blood sugar too quickly Mm -hmm. uh, simple sugars, added syrups, simple strip carbs. And because we have continuous glucose monitors, you can find out what ra is raising your blood glucose when you eat it and in what order. So for example, in me, um, two grapes on an empty stomach, it's probably not an empty stomach because I'm absorbing some of the grape juice in the mouth probably, mm -hmm. raises my blood sugar substantially. So I've eliminated grapes, but wine, after a meal doesn't do it. So I can have a glass of wine without a spike in blood sugar, whereas I can't have just lousy two old grapes without it. Uh, so a good use of grapes is making wine, if you will. That's the answer for that. But in any case, um, we can find out what is spiking it because what spikes it changes your proteins. So let me give you the example. I've told you the importance of the proteins with the example of the hemoglobin for thalassemia and for um, sickle cell disease and uh, the uh, uh, apple E4 producing proteins. Well, mm -hmm. hemoglobin A1C is just a hemoglobin yeah. with a glucose stuck at the A1C position. And that stops that, glucose, that hemoglobin from its job appropriately of unloading oxygen. That's why we get um, ischemic legs and ulcer, leg ulcers. Mm. That's why we get kidney disease and heart disease and maybe even uh, brain dysfunction from type 2 diabetes. Um, so the importance is you don't want that increase in blood sugar because of what it does to your proteins. Yep. And it also increases LDL production and decreases LDL coherence in uh, your um, from your liver. Mm -hmm. And that's where you clear the LDL, you get rid of it, if you will. Yep. A second type of foods that are um, detrimental are ones that cause inflammation. And they're causing inflammation, we only know this recently, is because they change the gene function of your microbiome. They change with how your bacteria inside you produce proteins. So your bacteria have genes as well, and they mm -hmm. produce proteins that you absorb. So when you have carnitine less than and choline, by themselves, they don't change it. Carnitine less than and choline with saturated fat, that changes the gene function of the bacteria. So they produce trimethylamine, which is a very inflammatory substance in you when it gets changed automatically in the liver into trimethylamine oxide. So the, the key point is the five food felons we say are, um, if you will, foods with that raise your blood sugar simply, simple sugars, added syrup, simple carbs, and then red meat, processed red meat and egg yolks, mm -hmm. things with saturated fat and carnitine less than choline, and fried foods. Those are things that seem to increase either abnormal proteins or that change the protein structure or that cause inflammation in you. Yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. And with 
you know, with that, when we look at sort of a dietary pattern of an individual, particularly with things like, let's say, unprocessed red meat, you know, like if we have an individual who's overweight and has central adiposity and high blood sugars and inflammation, and then we're bringing these substances on board versus, let's say, sort of a Mediterranean individual with a, a, a great BMI and 14% body fat and that type of thing. Like, is that terrain, that milieu going to amplify a bit to your sort of in, compound interest analogy before yeah, it, it is, is, that it gonna... is exactly compounding so you're uh, if you will one of the one of the things we've really learned is that a lot of heart attacks probably 50 percent of heart attacks and strokes occur because of rupture mm-hmm. breaking off of pre-existing plaques yeah and it is inflammation that causes that obviously the worst inflammation we get usually is from viral diseases the flu is the classic one so getting a flu shot and a even if it isn't perfectly effective it blunts the um rise in inflammation in you so people got a flu shot in three separate studies for 10 years in a row from age 50 to 60 over that period had 50% less heart attacks and strokes than the same group of people in both the Canadian studies and the Kaiser studies and another American study who didn't get the flu shot. 50% less heart attacks and strokes, 25% less death in that period. Wow. So, so the point is that decreasing inflammation, whether it is by decreasing egg yolks um, or red meat and processed red meat, or whether it is by uh, preventing viral diseases in you by keeping your immunizations up to date, including whooping cough, et cetera, the the full gamut. That's why you Mm -hmm. need to see a practitioner. Um, Those things uh, are important at preventing that plaque rupture. Obviously, if you prevent the plaques in the first place by getting (laughs) treatment early, you you prevent a lot of that problem. So uh, I wish I knew earlier in life what I've learned now. But the good news for everybody who's 30 now is they can start now and really have a much healthier life than most of the other people, especially uh, living disability free um, as they get older. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, you know, weight loss in general is going to help to lower inflammation. And so if that's a key driver, then definitely lots of different tools and strategies there. You know, Doc, in, in writing the book, I appreciate there's a lot of fascinating insights throughout the book. But was there, you know, in, in terms of things that surprised you when you're going through all this research that stands out for you? Well, we have a scientific advisory board for the book and for the Reboot Your Age app. That's 10 people who are experts in longevity. And what surprises all of us is each of us changed at least one thing in the first three months of this thing because of the scientific data that we were unaware of. So for example, I was unaware of how strong the compounding effect was. I was unaware that phosphocreatine, which is a great muscle building uh, supplement when you're young, I didn't know it actually improves brain functioning when you're an old guy like me. Um, so, you know, it's it's how inexpensive is it? I, I can show you. Cheap you and know. cheerful, yeah. Creatine monohydrate. I, I have this big thing. I think it costs $40 for yeah. six months. Yeah. Um, and for $40 in six months, I keep my brain younger. So uh, there are a lot of things. Uh, another one, you know, this is a 
uh, what is it, a $13 inspiratory resistance breathing thing. Yep. And it's it's great for strengthening my diaphragm, mm-hmm. which is another muscle that we get uh, a problem powerful. with and br- problem in air exchange as we get older. So, you know, literally two minutes a day of using this thing, um, which was, a, I think, a $15 device is a great. And so what surprised me is that how how much information I've learned as we've gone through with a, with a full scientific advisory board and with people at you anyone can ask us questions at greatagereboot.com mm-hmm. so people ask us questions at greatagereboot.com help me learn an awful lot well listen that's that's definitely saying something off offline we we're talking i think this is your 22nd book i think you you mentioned so that's uh that's definitely a full a full statement Doc, I really appreciate you carving out the time for people who are listening in who are, you know, they want to be changing their health. They want to be doing these things or listening to the podcast. You know, is there a piece of advice or something you might say to them to, to get them to initiate some of the different strategies we've talked about here today? Well, you know, I could say just simply get the get the Great Age Reboot book or go to greatagereboot.com and sign up for the Reboot Your Age app for the free trial. For sure. Um, those, are, those are easy things. But, but what I really want to say is, Find your passion. Find something that motivates you, whether it is gardening or whether it is like, and I appreciate you're letting me, my passion is helping people stay younger longer. So I appreciate you're letting me exhibit my passion here. But find something that's your passion that you love to do. And then remember to do that, that to do that, and to do it longer and more meaningfully, pick up other choices that are healthy for you. And remember, you get to control your genes. You're a genetic engineer better than anyone who went to Caltech or MIT for you. You control at least 80% of the proteins your genes secrete and produce. So learn about that and uh, learn how that your choices really do matter. Tremendous, Doc. I really appreciate you you carving out some time. We'll definitely include all those links in the show notes. And again, encourage everyone to to pick up the book. So much great content. And yeah, I appreciate you coming on board. Thank you. My privilege. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, listen, if you have any questions, love to hear from you. Reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Dr. Bubs. Use the hashtag peak40 so we can find those questions easily and use them on a future episode. And if you found this useful, please share with friends, colleagues, or anyone looking for Peak 40 health and performance. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.